everybody. This is Andy Marquette. I am joined by my colleague and friend, Jove Bell. We are Women and Words. Hey, Jove, it's been a minute since yeah. we talked. Yeah. Where you been? I know, right? It was like we, we totally, the two of us forgot uh, two weeks ago. We just totally spaced out that we record on Friday. And it was like, what? And yeah. I was in the process of the middle of doing crazy shit. And mm-hmm. then I was still doing crazy shit. So thank God Ashley stepped in. Thank you, Ashley. Yes, because we love Ashley. We do. That yeah. was awesome. And it now is. here we it are. It is awesome. It's totally awesome. And now here we are. So tell us a story. Oh, a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> here's the thing that happens as your kids get older. They aren't nearly as cute anymore. They're mostly just Shit. these surly talk back mm, <clears throat> bastards that you don't quite know how you spawn that's that's what they turn into so yeah um stories are harder i I need to get like uh cute uh two to five year old uh acquaintances like i need to hang out with friends that have kids that age because they have better stories they do funnier things Oh, shit. All right. Tell us a grand a grandbaby story. Oh, my grandbaby. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> so he'll be 10 months old. 10 months old in, on the 23rd, right? So he's getting dangerously close to a year old. And at nine months and a, and, uh, and a week and a half, two weeks, he took his first uh, solo steps. He is, he is seriously going to exhaust me here coming up very, very soon. He's on his way. Oh, my God. He's he's at this point, right, where he is so, so, so curious about everything. It's it's so much fun to watch get, watch um, watch him and watch him with Noah and Wyatt because, you know, now he does stuff. And so they'll sit and they'll play with them. And, you mm-hmm. know, Noah and, and Alec, their game is – he has one of those um, – you know those those things where you got the different shaped blocks and you put them in the hole that matches, mm-hmm. so you get the triangle and whatever. So he doesn't actually have any interest in putting the blocks in the hole. He likes to throw them at Noah oh, and make Noah <laughs> holler, and then he giggles insanely. Oh he doesn't have any control over his throwing, right? It's it's total mixed bag as to where that thing is going to end up. And, oh my god! <laughs> and, and Noah will holler, and then he'll giggle like a maniac, and then somewhere in the middle of that, Otis. One of our dogs, Otis, will try to sneak away with one of the blocks. And Otis is like the sweetest dog until you try and take whatever it is that he has in his mouth away from him. He was astray for, you know, probably too long. And, and uh, mm-hmm. well, any amount of time being astray is too long, really. Let's just acknowledge that. But yes, um, let's do. Um, yeah, so... If he gets a hold of something, you do not want to just like reach in and try and take it back because you will end up with a hole in your hand. And that's just the way it is. And so, you know, baby throwing blocks, Noah yelling, ouch, baby giggling and the dog growling because he's got a treasure and you're not getting it back. So, yeah, that's been how that goes. And then, (laughs) yeah, my world. And then uh, Wyatt and Alec, their game is... You know those those toys where like 
what you push a button or you twist a thing or you slide a lever or whatever and then the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. thing mm -hmm. pops up out of the you know kind of like a jack-in-the-box it's like a row of like six or seven of those little animals that pop up when you twist the thing and then you push mm -hmm. them back down and do it all over again mm -hmm. and it's supposed to teach babies you know that fine motor control so they learn how to twist things and you know push different buttons and move levers and you know it's designed to teach them that but the game goes like this Wyatt opens all of them Alec <clears throat> looks at it has a moment of like OCD reaction and immediately closes them all back up right <laughs> he cannot handle the fact that they're out it doesn't matter what else he's doing if he notices that this thing has these little creatures sitting up they must go down <laughs> and so it's turned into oh my this God. yeah oh it's hysterical and so it's turned into this thing where Wyatt will open them all up and then he'll push the toy over to Alec and Alec will close them and push it back to Wyatt so Wyatt can do his part of opening them again. It's so much fun to watch. It's it's the best because it's hysterical because, you know, here's this baby with his OCD closing the damn uh, mm -hmm. lids. But Wyatt is 15. He's a 15-year-old boy who's sitting oh there God, wow. with this besotted look on his face playing with this toy with this baby. And it's the best thing to watch. Like Wyatt just gets like, like middle-aged housewife stupid over babies. It's so great. Jesus Christ. Wyatt is 15. I'm still kind of stuck on that. Hold yeah. on. Yeah. He's... Fuck. <laughs> he is fully man. He hasn't even had his hit his like growth spurt yet, mm -mm, and he's mm -mm. still drastically taller than Tara. I, I'm afraid of how big that boy is going to end up being. He he's going to be a big man. He's yeah. going to his shoes. Gonna... He wears like a size oh, so. 13 shoe. Jesus Christ! Yeah. Noah has giant feet too, but not that big. There's wow. My children are very. Like they're not messing around. They're 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 attacking this this adult thing with vigor. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, wow. and we got new T-shirts. My friend, oh, huh. my friend Jesse Chandler made T-shirts for my. I ordered T-shirts for um, not everybody because I didn't order one for Wyatt because I didn't think he'd wear it. But like Noah and Minnie Mike and me and Tara and Michelle and Jessica all got T-shirts, and it's the it's the one that says um, um, Y B racist um sexist homophobic or transphobic oh, when yeah, you could yeah, just yeah. be quiet yeah it's the best it's the best t-shirt i get comments on it every time i wear it so when did you get these t-shirts what is happening i got them a couple weeks ago i ordered them forever ago and jesse's because mm -hmm. you know jesse has that business where she makes t-shirts and uh, Michelle saw them like on a maybe a Facebook or an Instagram or something posting and immediately sent me a picture and said, me this now. And I said, you wait till birthday. And then I ordered them. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, I just said, send them whenever because, you know, she's got a life. She's busy and I don't need these T-shirts. I want these T-shirts. So there's, you know, it's mm -hmm. a friend thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they, sh they showed up a couple weeks ago. And then, mm -hmm. then we right sent, yeah we sent her a check i'm like hey by the way it checks in the mail and she goes oh my god i totally forgot about that did they arrive okay <laughs> shit <laughs> jesse <laughs> i love her so much oh my god so she's so hilarious. so much she's the best so yeah they are the best t-shirts and i get you know the people who comment on them though always women men never comment on them that's because men are yeah, let's not even go yeah. there. Oh, 
Oh, and I went to the chiropractor. Not for the first time in my life. It was the second. I went to the chiropractor once about 20 years ago and did not enjoy the experience. Hadn't been back. So <laughs> I went to the chiropractor for the first time. Uh -huh. I'm going to call it the first time because I don't think my first time really counted. It's kind of like sex. Okay, so the this first is time like bad. This, so I'm we'll, just doing we'll a do-over. <laughs> okay, so this is the first time. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. And right. so the dude, uh, I don't even remember his name. Doesn't matter. He was this tiny... Um, smiling, just sort of like beatific um, Asian dude who, you know, he's, he just made me giggle. And about halfway through this adjustment period, you know, when he's doing these adjustments, I'm like, you know, I am super gay, but I am also madly in love with you right now. <laughs> and he giggled at me and then he said, he said some, I don't know what he said, but he's like, but I'm sorry, I'm married. I'm like, that's okay. I am too, but I still love you. And <laughs> so, yeah, that's cute. that was my, that was my experience. I declared my, my love and devotion for a stranger today or this week, earlier this week. So, but Hey, you know, he helped you. Oh so. my God. I seriously, I wasn't kidding when I said I loved him. I wasn't kidding at all i mean so. you know mm -hmm. i love the people who put me out of my discomfort and pain so <laughs> you know yes well it, you know that came my declaration of love came shortly after a you know fairly significant popping that came out of my mid back so yeah mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. oh oh that was good <laughs> yeah yeah that's how that went <laughs> Well, hell yeah. Yeah, so. Oh, so I'm, well, I'm glad that you now have this awesome chiropractor. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm going to keep him. I'd like to keep Good. him in my pocket, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you, he's just about that size. He's, he's a pretty small dude. Um, but and, clearly really strong. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he totally, he totally got the job done. I was pretty fucking impressed with this dude. Anyway, that's awesome. So, oh, so it sounds like everything's okay. Yeah. Everything's good. Yay. My world Yay. is a very happy place. Thank you. Um, we're coming into fall here a little bit, Jeff. I'm just saying there's some. I, I know it feels like fall, but it's not fall yet. I know it's kind of freaking me out, man, yeah. but there's a couple of trees that are like, oh, hey, mm -hmm. they're starting to get a little bit of color and it's not green. Yeah. Our, uh, our weather has just taken a, a turn for the fall as well and it's it's weird because like our tomato plants haven't had that like burst of heat that they need in order to turn from green mm -hmm. to red and mm -hmm. you know until that happens i don't i don't get to make salsa so oh no i, I need this, this is a tragedy i need fall to hold off for just a little bit <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anyway wow yeah. So, well, I mean, in this hemisphere, I mean, obviously in other hemispheres, they're probably coming into spring, you know, down in the southern parts of the of planet. So, but for us here, up here, it's a little freaky deaky because it's only August. And mm -hmm. normally, um, you know, we get till the end of August, but this time, I don't know, I'm getting a little, everything's just off kilter. And I'm sure it's because the planet is like, this species sucks that's on it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah no i've i we need to be kinder to the planet and, and to each other yeah oh for sure 
for sure. But it's like we've reached that point where the kindness that we need to practice towards the planet can't I mean, it's no longer something that we as individuals could make a decision about like we drastically need like intervention on a massive scale. Like, you know, we need mm -hmm. we need laws that say, hey, by the way, plastic is now illegal. Right. Like massive yeah. sweeping things like that. And I'm not saying plastic is the is the evil. I'm just saying that that's the kind of <clears throat> kind of thing or like, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, outlying um Petroleum-based petroleum uh, products, yeah. yeah, or or like, hey, your gas car—that's great. You can keep it, you can use it, but you can only have two gallons a week or something. You know what I mean? Like something really, really extreme needs to happen in order for a, and not just for individuals, but I mean, obviously, there needs to be some pretty significant self-evaluation from a corporation point of view too. So yeah, from everybody's point of view, I was yeah. reading some article last night. Um, a French writer was talking about how it like the top something like five to 10% of the population that makes the most money are the most egregious carbon footprint people. Well, of course. Because, well, which makes total sense because the rest of us can't really afford to like jet set or like, you know, drive all over the place all the time, you know? So, and a lot of times working poor or working class people like in Europe, especially will try to live closer to where they work or, the, or there's mass transit that's available mm -hmm. which helps reduce your personal carbon footprint in, in some ways. So I was just thinking about that and I was thinking about the ways that I use you know petroleum-based products and this that and the other and you know I've, I'm like well fuck um, I've, I've got to do better. I have got to do better so I'm yeah. kind of doing a reevaluation of all the shit that I have. Yeah it's not it's not just the you know we don't we can't jet set, as you said, but we also can't afford to live in, you know, in, in 10,000 square foot houses. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like those are all, yeah, I don't own a Porsche. God bless them. I don't have a, a yacht or a, a helicopter. I don't, <laughs> I just don't have any of these things. I can't afford these things. <laughs> so. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And if you think about those those giant houses and all the resources in, that go into heating them and cooling them, mm -hmm. it's like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, what is this? This is crazy talk. You don't need that much space. No, you don't. You need to, like, go build yourself an earth ship and be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, it's just something I was thinking about. I've been thinking about that quite a lot lately and watching the seasons shift in ways that are different mm -hmm. than what I grew up with. I mean, I remember being in high school back in the day and like it was fucking freezing ass cold and shit was freezing up by like the first week of November. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes there is no freeze at yeah. all in the winter. And that no freeze thing sounds great if you're like just thinking about your own personal comfort. Like I like it better when it's not so fucking cold. I like it better when it's not so fucking hot, right? But mm -hmm. when it doesn't freeze, it doesn't kill off things like mosquitoes. <laughs> you mm -hmm. end up with like and, this. And pine beetles. Yes. In Colorado, pine beetles, which are really devastating forests in some of the high country here. And that creates... You know, trees are ecosystems for other things. And so when you lose huge swaths of the forest, you're mm -hmm. losing ecosystems for other other bugs. Everything's a balance, you know, and things are not in balance. So it, uh, who knows? And, and, and it unleashes, like, you know, weird diseases as as insects remain able to 
induced shit all winter long, like you're saying about mosquitoes. I don't know. It's just, it's shit has been freaking me out. You know know. what we need? We need a big old, like, serving of kombucha for the planet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. Gross. Okay. Anyway. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. That was, well, that was uplifting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Joe. I'm here for you. All right, friends, let's rock and roll. This is the, I forgot to tell everybody what Women in Words is. It's not just Joe and me sitting around yakking, although yeah, that is, is like 92% <laughs> of the show. <laughs> we we talk about shit that, that goes on on the Women in Words blog, which you can find at womenwords.org. And Joe will tell you all about that at the end. I will. Uh, okay. All right, friends. Um, so we started this week with, I, I think I've got it right, Joe, with Ann Edder yeah. on August 3rd. Uh, and she did a really cool blog. She's talking about, uh, there's like this music festival in her town the first weekend in, in August. So she goes down to the music festival and she, she has a picture here of this really cute town square and that's where it takes place. And they have like this taco truck that is there. So she gets this chicken burrito for lunch and dinner every day of the festival. And then she just like hangs out and listens to music. And she says that the music is from all eras. And she heard music from Hildegard of Bingen, who was a medieval uh, musician, songwriter, up through Beyonce and everything in between, marches, hymns, Spanish, German, Mexican, Italian. If a band can play it, we hear it. Uh, That sounds like my kind of music festival. So the point being that as a reader here on the Women in Words blog, she then gave us some titles of books that have music as themes. One of those is uh, Georgia Beers' Fear of Falling. I have not read this yet, Georgia. Please don't hate me. Um, It's a delightful story featuring Sophie James and her new manager. And Anne says the chemistry is really great. And the cover is also really kind of sexy. Are you looking at this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You can tell. I was like, uh. (laughs) I I have a serious, like... Uh, affinity for that whole and I don't actually want to go sit in a jazz bar filled with smoke and drink whiskey like I have no interest in actually doing that but the (laughs) oh I know you but the aesthetic of it for me Mm -hmm. I just that is just sex on a stick right there and that's what that cover evokes right yeah yeah, totally the the imagery is super hot super super hot Um, also Here's a fan favorite, uh, Lee Winter's Requiem for Immortals. Mm-hmm. For those of you who are not in the know, this is there's a cellist involved here, and there's also an assassin. So um, I think everybody needs to read this book. Everybody needs to read Lee Winter and Georgia. I mean, what the hell? Yeah. Just, like, read them. Um, and also the next book, Jay, Perfect Rhythm. And this is a cool, cool book because it features um, an asexual main character, Musician Leo returns home to her small town and meets Holly, and the story is warm and educational. And this was Jay's, I think, first book at writing an ace character. And uh, I, I mean, Jay spends a lot of time doing research to make sure she gets shit right. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, you know, there's so little ace representation in books, and I really, really hope, and and frankly, in all media, and I really hope that we get more. Mm-hmm. ace representation because we just don't see it and there are there are people i know people who identify as ace and yeah i think that would be so awesome for them to see themselves wrapped in media and it would demystify a whole lot and it would help people who are like god why do i feel like this you know it's kind of like being queer and i consider that being ace i 
that's kind of the queer spectrum for me. So they're part of my family. So hello. More rep on that, please. So thanks, Jay. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> I think I think it's the, that conversation about um, being ace and the different kinds of ace and, and, and mm -hmm. all of that. I think that's incredibly important, especially for, you know, younger people that we're seeing so like Gen Z, they're so um, progressive and they're so advanced in terms of like, you know, what it means to be pan or trans or mm -hmm. any of those uh, things, but you don't see as much, much conversation about ace. And so, you know, right. I, I want my kid to have that conversation for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I know when I was trying to figure out who the fuck I was and it was finding myself repped, like in, in some gem of a book that I would find was just like, wow, the whole mm -hmm. world it was like somebody out there gets it. And, and I'm not weird. I'm not abnormal. It just, I don't It just representation matters, friends. It is so fucking important. So yes. anyway, just wanted yes, to put that is. out there. Oh, okay. I wait. I, I have a book, yes. a book recommendation. Oh, cool. um, okay. So there's actually it's two books in the same series by this author, and the first one is um, called um, uh, Borderline, and it's about a chick with a borderline personality disorder. Oh, wow! And um, she's she's not. She, is I mean, she the main character? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. And she's and so it spends a lot of time explaining what it means to to have borderline personality disorder, which is different than what most of us think mm -hmm. or, or you know or look at it and think it's going to be. So there's a lot of time spent on the actual, you know, mental mm -hmm. health aspects, what this really means. She's also an amputee. She tried Oh my gosh. She wow. she tried to commit suicide and really fucked herself up. Oh, Jesus. Um, and uh and um, she's also Pan. So she's just... What, what's the name of this book? It's called Borderline. And it is Borderline? Okay. And wow. the second book in the series is, is called Phantom Pains. And, oh, wow. But, and the author is Michelle, but it's spelled M-I-S-H-E-L-L -L Baker. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and this, is a, this is an urban fantasy, too. There's this whole fae element to it. So. Oh, my God. God, that sounds fabulous. And the voice is this wonderful, snarky, sarcastic, you know, it's... Oh, I'm, that's, I'm sold. It's, yeah, I, I love that. It's pretty amazing. I got it from the library, um, and it was... The cover was not anything that would have made me pick it up, so I don't know why I got... But, I don't, but, but it's good. Well, um, can we just, like, do a shout-out here for libraries? Yeah, please. Libraries, dear libraries, we love you. Thank you for existing. Thank you for offering you, all that libraries. you do. Fucking love you. You're the best. Yeah. Um, they're just, all, and depending on where you are, they can be community centers. Like, mm -hmm. they can be, uh, the, you know, venues for events. They can, sometimes the events are not so great, but, you know, that's, that's part of living responsibly in a democratic society is that, you know, public spaces for public events, right? Yeah. I mean, well, in the last month, at the at the library, actually, the different branches, but the local library, uh, I saw the creature feature, which is a local dude who wrangles. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, talks, you told me about um, that. Yeah, poisonous uh, snakes and lizards. Oh my god! I got to see some really really cool uh, reptiles, and we went to an ice cream social where they gave us all free ice cream and gave out free books for the kids and. 
it was a cool, cool, cool event. So, yeah, there are some things at the library that you're not going to want to participate in. But for the most part, they try really hard to be, you know, to have a broad um, mm -hmm. spectrum of events. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they have meeting rooms that you could go in and say, well, not every library. My library <laughs> has a space where you can go in and, you know, you can go in as a small group of like three or four or five people and go into their small meeting room and do whatever it is you need to do for an hour. Or, you know, they have, they have free Wi-Fi. My library will, mm -hmm. will, you can check out a Chromebook to use while you're in the library if you don't want to use one of the computer terminals that they also have available for you. You can, you can, that's amazing. You can use their printer and print things out and you can do, <clears throat> excuse me, like you can get a certain amount of, of print paper printouts mm -hmm, that are free mm -hmm. each visit. And then after that, they're really cheap. They're ridiculously cheap. There's uh, the things the library does for a community is ridiculous. And if you don't know about these things, it's because you're not, Take, you're, not you're not going. Paying attention. To, yeah, you haven't been to your library since you were, you know, in the summer reading program when you were in the twelve. Right, exactly. Yeah. And oh my god, like, so I did those every summer. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of heartbroken because Noah's decided he's not really interested in being a reader. <gasps> he still wants. He still is a writer. There's no. He's a writer, but he's not really. He'll figure it out. He'll figure out that you <sighs> have to be in order to be a writer. It as just well. breaks my heart. At, at his age, I was devouring everything Same. 12 years old i had like i was i was in deep with stephen king we were in a very unhealthy relationship <laughs> oh, shit. so yeah i just it breaks my heart i don't know how to like convince the kid that he wants to read and every time i try and make a book recommendation he's just like mm, no thanks but no and he seems to be more like tara tara is not tara doesn't read fiction she just doesn't have time or the inclination for that shit but she's nonfiction, sure and Wyatt too same thing nonfiction is his bitch but mm -hmm. fiction I'm surrounded by a, a, a people who don't love fiction oh Jesus this that is, is horrifying I know this is the saddest thing <laughs> I read all across everything you know nonfiction and fiction and Jesus Christ I just I have so many books right now on my Kindle ready to read because I haven't had access to a library that was like close. Yeah. Um, so, and I also, you know, you can borrow ebooks at Libraries Friends too. Oh, yeah. Although Macmillan Books is being a douche right now. There's like something going on with how they're putting some kind of cap on book ebooks for library use. And so people are talking about this online, and I have to like go and figure out what exactly is happening so I can rant about it. Oh, but. Yeah, I don't know. I've n I I get audiobooks from my library and I download them right onto my phone. I don't ever have to even go to the library and check them out all online and and download them to mm -hmm, your phone and mm -hmm. listen to them. Um but Harper Audio is the vast majority of the of the books that I I end up checking out are from Harper Audio. So Harper's awesome. That's a, a really good thing to know. And I just I just found it it says that um Macmillan has announced that it will impose a two-month embargo on library ebooks across all of the company's imprints. So what that means is library systems will be allowed to purchase a single, just one, perpetual access ebook during the first eight weeks of publication for each new release. That is such a dick move. I don't 
understand. And then what, after the eight weeks, they can get more if they want it? This is such a dick move. Listen to this. Um, at half price, why are they caught there? Macmillan, I don't understand this. They're charging $60 for ebooks for new releases for libraries? Holy smokes. What the actual fuckaroni is that? I don't. I don't that know. is bullshit. Y'all, that is bullshit. I'll have you know right now that DRB does not charge that ridiculousness for libraries. So, no. just saying. As a matter of fact, I, I, um, we undersell to libraries because we know that libraries are publicly funded and they don't often get a whole lot of money. Mm -hmm. So, um, we have that option, fortunately, on one of our... Our e-booking platforms that we use, they have an option for the libraries to purchase books at, you know, super cheap e-books. And that's what we do. I will, I will go up one even further. Dear listener, if you are someone who would like to have um, one of oh, our yeah. e-books at your local library, uh, reach out to me or Andy or any of the other Dirt Road Books people and we will hook your library up for free. So. Yes, we will. Let us know. We will fucking do that. Yeah, so absolutely. Just drop us a line at the contact page. Anyway. Libraries are God. Yes, they are. So, huh, see, you, dear listener, you see how we do that? We get started, then we wander into the weeds, and then we're out here in the weeds hanging out. Uh, anyway. Yes. <laughs> do, you, do you remember? Do you remember the awesome book I, I recommended? I wrote it down. Borderline and the Phantom Pains, Michelle Baker. Thank you. I just want to make sure because yeah. it's amazing. Look at me. It's amazing. Keeping notes. Look at me keeping notes, everyone. <laughs> what the fuck? Okay. Um, August 6th. This blog had me laughing. Uh, Anika, Anika Batson joined us, and she's one of our, our younger writers. And <laughs> the title is, What Even Is Adulting? trademark <laughs> yeah the the trademark thing like throughout like she actually did the superscript with the she little did the super i i laughed so hard when i saw oh that oh my it's, god it's whatever it's the best and i love this i love this whole why are you asking me i'm clearly not old enough <laughs> i just uh, this was so funny because she starts out with one of her most irrational fears in life is that She's going to grow up and just completely suck at adulting. Okay, Anika, newsflash. Every single one of us goes through that. And you know what? We realize when we, we hit a point in our lives when we're no longer 20, no longer 30, maybe older than 40, and we're like, oh, my God, adulting is such bullshit. Mm -hmm. And we go back to acting like we're 12. That is literally what happens. <laughs> oh, well, you know, there are all these, like, benchmarks <laughs> where you go, oh, my God, I'm really a girl. Like, I, I talked to Ashley about this last week, right? Like, I knew my mom thought I was an adult when I drove home from Portland to Idaho to see her, and she didn't uh, pay for my gas to get back to Portland. She didn't offer to fill up my gas tank. Knew my mom saw me as a grown up then. And by the way, I had been working in management for years at that point. Years, years. Made way more than she did. And she still felt compelled to pay for my gas. Oh my so, God, so funny. Yeah. Or like Shit. when Tara and I bought our first washer and dryer. That was a big oh, deal. Yeah, that's an that's an adult move. Yeah, yeah, it was or like it feels like it. It's weird. Oh yeah, it, what was an adult was the fact that I would sit out and and watch them run because I just couldn't believe I'd reached that point of in my life where purchasing major appliances was something that I do. <laughs> so yeah, this is this is funny. 
Anika says, for the most part, I just don't really know what being an adult means. So I don't think I know how to be one. If someone were to ask me what adults do all day, I'd probably paint a picture of someone in a suit sitting around a desk, clicking away on their keyboard while on a very important business call, yes. drinking coffee. The coffee's very important. But these are all things I do. <laughs> I wear suits to meetings sometimes. I sit at a desk. I write on my laptop. I've taken calls. I drink a disgusting amount of coffee every day. By my definition, I am an adult. So why don't I feel like one? Newsflash, Anika, please don't ever feel like an adult because you will lose some of your spark. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, and adulting really... Uh, it's bullshit. It's not the most interesting thing you can do. <laughs> there are... You know I like to think about it? I like to think that... Um, I, I don't call it being an adult because there are adults I know that are just complete fucking Fruit Loops and, and cannot get their shit together. Um, I think, you know, you hit points in your life when you are able to navigate life more effectively than you did as a younger person. And you don't sweat the small stuff as much. Ideally, that's what that's what you're going for. And when I hit my 40s, I stopped really giving a shit what people thought about me. And I was pretty good at navigating things and pretty good at dealing with crises. And because those come up, as you know, Joe, those come up mm -hmm. all, a lot. And as you get more experienced at dealing with crises, I think that you become a little bit more mature about it. But I don't really think adult is any kind of milestone. I think it's just something that happens as you accumulate life experience. Um, That's what. Yeah, okay. But, again, there are people out there who are just, they don't have the tools, the wherewithal, the support to really develop effective tools dealing with, with all the shit that life throws. Because life, let's just face it, it's a shit show. It's a total shit show. And there are times when it's not so big a shit show and times when it's, oh, my God, the worst shit show ever. And it's how you approach those things that defines you as you, as you age. That's what I think. Um, I agree. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you react to it. Exactly. Which is total cliche, except mm -hmm. for the part where once you figure that shit out, you rule the world. So, yep, it's a cliche, but it's one you need to sort. This is an interesting thing that Anika says. Um, sometimes she says, sometimes I have conversations with other people my age and I say things about being an adult and they correct me. With, we're not adults, we're 20. You know, that's, it's it's a relative thing because, you know, Joe, you and I have, have read across all kinds of genres and and historically, you know, back, like back in the 19th century, and early 20th century, and even mid 20th century, people were getting married at 16, okay? They were working out and, you know, you had eight-year-olds driving tractors, you know, and still to some extent in rural America that happened. So... Being 20, I'm sorry, you're kind of an adult at that point. You okay. need to be getting your shit together. Dude, my grandmother got married when she was 14. See? And stayed married to him until he died. Um, I started driving when I was 10. Same. Because that's what needed to happen. Right. So, I, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I know there's been discussions about this, about how, oh, I could, what is the, there's a term for it, about how... <sighs> Society imposes like certain expectations on people mm -hmm. in terms of how they 
develop and grow. So you end up now with people who are like 25 saying I'm not an adult, 20 saying I'm not an adult, 18 I'm saying I'm not an adult. I consider people like that young people. I don't consider them, you know, kids. Mm-hmm. And I certainly, I don't really think of anybody as adults. You know, that's what's funny. I consider them young people or like someone in their 30s, someone in their 40s. Maybe that's how we should look at it is like, you know, because adult is such an amorphous, vacuous term because there are cultures around the world where you're pretty much, you know, running the family herd in some African societies when you're like eight. Okay. Right. right. No, adolescence is totally an invention of modern Western society. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. Adolescence? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, How it's, it's an invention. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a hard and fast thing. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, Jewish, Jewish culture has bar mitzvahs at, at 13 and that's your that's your passage into manhood. There's a there's a reason for that. So, you know, and bat mitzvahs are those at thirteen too? I don't know as much because I yeah, haven't seen I as much so, yeah. on. There's not as much rep for women on TV. So. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah. But there's a there's a reason. There's a reason all of those things are are the way they are. Yeah. 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 So I mean, it's kind of a relative term adult um and it depends on where you are in terms of a society or a culture as to what that actually means so you know like i grew up you grew up in we both grew up in rural america and we had to like learn how to do things that probably kids in cities didn't know how to do and we were like you know eight nine ten I mean, you know, I was out there yeah. uh, with the goats. I mean, I had to. I was responsible for feeding and watering the goats and the chickens at like six in the morning, and this was before I was ten. So, yeah, I didn't have goats, but I did have an axe, and I was like, not even a splitting right? mall. One of those double-sided axes that oh, you know Jesus. can kill people. Right? I had one of those. I was responsible for chopping firewood because if if it didn't get chopped, we didn't get we didn't get warm. Exactly. So yeah. Same. I mean, go get some wood. So you go out there with the damn wheelbarrow. I'm like 10. You know, uh-huh. this is, and, you know, I learned how to drive tractors early. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's a relative term, Anika. And basically, I think that there is no point that you should say, okay, now I'm an adult. Yeah. What you should think about is how well you deal with shit. <laughs> That's pretty well, much. And I also think, I think that, you know, you and I are able to very, very quickly and easily identify the benchmarks that go with rural life. Like, I've, you know, the things yeah, yeah. that we, you know, they're very adult behaviors, right? Driving mm-hmm. and, and doing work around around the homestead, as it, as it were. But... You know, if you grew up in a city, if you grew up in New York, there are benchmarks for that too. True. Are oh, you true, true. are you doing mm-hmm. the grocery shopping? Are you taking the train exactly. alone? Are you good point? Are you point. you know? There's all sorts of things. I don't even know what the things are that go with you know being identified as an adult in the city. But I know that there are plenty of people in the city who are who are doing right. adult things very young, and not because there's anything wrong, just right, right. because that's the way it is. That, that's a good point. And Anika, I'm sure that you are doing, you were riding the trains probably at a very early age, as opposed to someone in rural America who had to like drive the tractor into town. <laughs> like, you know, like, probably the same age, right? Oh my yeah. God. This description cracked me up. She says, babies kind of freak me out. I don't know how to react when someone tells me they're having one. 
my mind goes blank, and then all I can imagine is someone building a child out of Lego <laughs> and bringing it up to people the same way a child brings its creation up to others and goes, look what I made. <laughs> nice. You know, that's the best. Anika, oh there God. is no, there's no proper way to respond when somebody tells you they're having a baby. Like, I think people want you to say congratulations, but I always say, okay, <laughs> is that a good thing? Like, I always want to find out what they think about it. I know. I'm always like, I, cause you never know. You, yeah. If, if, if you go, congratulations, and they're not happy about it, you know? So yeah. I always like, is, oh, this is, oh, this is uh, important news, I'll say. And, <laughs> and then. You know, is this something that, you know, are you glad about this? Yeah. And then say, yes. And then I'm like, oh, yay. You yeah, know, I always like, ask nope. if it's good news. Absolutely. Right. Anika, basically nobody knows how to react when someone says they're having mm -hmm. a baby. <laughs> because um, it can be the best news ever or it can be or, the most yeah. life-changing, depressing, jump-off-a-roof news ever. It can go either exactly. way. So. It can go either way. Um, this had me cracking up because I, Anika, just so you know, I still do this. She says, I went to a sex store the other day and I was laughing at the dicks because, of course, I was. And two <laughs> things happened. Some dude rolled his eyes at me and my friend because a sex store is a place of serious business, apparently. Two older gay men then walked up next to us, grabbed the biggest, most ridiculous dick off the shelf, waved it around, and laughed along with us. Why? Because dicks are funny and age is not going to change that. <laughs> Um, dicks are funny, and here's the thing, oh if you're God. comfortable enough to grab one and wave it around, more power to ya. Own, own that. Enjoy it. So basically, everybody's faking it, and Nika, you're right. We are all totally faking it, but some of us, as we age, we get to the point where we don't give a shit. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> so, anyway, um... You're doing fine. <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing fine, sweetie. It's going to be great. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're funny. <laughs> and and as you can tell, dear listeners, Joe and I still don't know what the fuck adulting is all about. No, not a clue. But whatever. I keep realizing with a great deal of shock and awe that I am the adult in any scenario. Right, like, oh, uh, all right. I'm surrounded by all these children who think I'm in charge. What the fuck? What the fuck? Like, what are we doing? This is insane. Yeah. Oh, God. So, yeah, you will have those moments where you're like, oh, shit, I'm actually the adult in this situation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's when you suddenly realize that life has changed a little bit. But it's okay. You're it's okay. totally okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was funny, waving the dick around. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, <sighs> it's, you, you, you just know. You remember the point in your life when you did that shit. I still do that shit. Yeah. What are you talking about? Sex toy stores are hilarious. And if you've got somebody acting like it's a serious business store, you should not. What the fuck are you doing with that business? Right. That should be funny and joyful. So my favorite sex toy store sex toy store story that's what i wanted to say so okay, let's do it this chick we walk into the store and this chick is on the phone um obviously with a man and you know i only get one side of the conversation but what it boiled down to was you know she was trying to explain to him how to possibly do things that work better for his girlfriend and uh, he just he huh. just clearly was not getting it 
like oh, just couldn't no. couldn't understand any of it and she gets off the phone and she looks at us and she said i just wanted to tell him to bring her down here and i would take care of it because <laughs> He's all, clearly he's not, he doesn't get it. Like, he doesn't understand. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was my, that was my favorite. Because she was just, like, so. Exasperated. Uh What the fuck, dude? Why is this not clear to you? Yeah, I mean, and she she was saying stuff like, well, women have this thing called a clit. And, you know, I mean, just, like, trying really hard to, like. Yeah, and it was, like. I don't, I don't know why she's not enjoying what you're doing. I can only assume that maybe you should try something else, right? Like, just, yeah, saddest thing ever. this is why sex ed is important. Yeah. So that you know what you're doing to yourself and what you like, and so your partners also know what they like. I read this really horrifying article, Joe. Um, Basically, there's a, you know, Gen Z and the, generation coming up behind them because there's been such a crackdown on really good sex ed available in education that basically young people are getting education about sex from porn oh yeah totally the completely unrealistic uh whatever right which yeah so i don't even this just scares the shit out of me well yeah and you know you know that the parents that are that are, um, you know, parenting these children who are getting their education about sex from porn. Because I promise you, all of my kids are watching porn and giggling about it and, and you know, laughing about whatever. And I don't want to know about it. I don't want to, I like, I try not to think about it because they're my children. But they're still doing it. So if you think your kids aren't, well, then that's just dumb. That's just and, dumb. And my kids... Uh, are all doing it, but at least they have parents who are saying, hey, you know that stuff isn't actually real, right? Like, you need to Mm -hmm. worry about things like consent, and you need to actually have a conversation and make sure what you're doing feels good to the other person, and all of this stuff, there's, you know, like, to my, Mm -hmm. my, my son, Wyatt, dude, you need to know that there is absolutely no woman on the planet who wants you to come in her face. You need to know that. That is porn. That is not reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, stuff like that. Kids need to know. And if you're not comfortable enough to discuss sex in the first place, you're not going to debunk porn. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know. Dear, that's part of adulting, Anika. <laughs> <laughs> How did we get there? I don't even know. I don't even. Oh, yeah, sex toys. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Anyway. <clears throat> Anywho. I, what I want to know is, was she wearing a suit? Good point. <laughs> that right there. That's, I'm going to ask her. I'm going to ask her. That's what determines okay. the, the adulting. Were you the adult, wearing a suit? The adult aspect of it. The t- yes. Sex toys. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, okay. August 7th. Uh, this, this was so great because I love it when two authors get together and they just chat like this. Georgia Beer's friends and Carson Tate had a conversation, and you can find it on the Women in Words blog. And Carson notes that both she and Georgia have new releases this summer, but, you know, Jove, I mean, they have new releases like every five minutes. So, (laughs) yay, what is this, book number 58 for one of you and 59 for the other? Who knows? Um, Anyway, this is a really fun conversation, and I actually learned something. I did not realize that Georgia Beer's wrote fanfic. I didn't either. Or she, if I did, uh, I forgot. Well, she wrote in the Law and Order SVU universe, oh. X Files, Xena, and ER. Oh. 
And I'm like, where is this mystical fanfic that Georgia Beers was writing? And I'm not sure she wrote it under Georgia Beers. So Carson is all, I love that you wrote fanfic. It isn't still available anywhere. If someone wanted to check it out and Georgia says, I have no idea. Probably things on the internet never die. So I'm wondering if it's under Georgia Beers and we should go find it. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I say yes. Yeah. Right. So speaking of the number of books, Carson says, what number book are you currently writing? Number 24. And Georgia says, I think my work in progress is 25. And Carson is at working on number 24. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Let's just like put our, let's just leave. Yeah. Carson, <laughs> Carson writes at, I mean, she is so disciplined about her writing schedule. Her, mm -hmm. her and Jay, the two of them, yeah, that's impress true. the holy living fuck right out of me. Well, They're apparently, just so... Georgia, she's working on 25. Georgia you know? hasn't been writing as long. I mean, Georgia has been writing for much longer, though. Has been publishing for much longer. Oh, my God. Georgia's, like, out of control with her writing. Yeah, oh, yeah, she's great. Don't get me wrong. So amazing. But Carson's number impresses me more. Dear listener, I don't feel like an adult around Georgia and Carson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh my God. So this is a really fun conversation, friends. And I highly recommend that you go and read it. And Carson and Georgia also have a conversation about the lesbic world. And so Georgia says, she asks, what's the most interesting part of the lesbic world to you? And Carson says, the most interesting thing in the lesbic world is how we think it's small. And it's not small. I learned this over again every time I attend a new event. So she, um, Carson was at Clexicon this year in April, and so many new readers, uh, not necessarily new readers, but readers we've never met. And that, I think that's true. You know, we, we get this a sense that, you know, it's a small kind of bubble, and, and but yet there are, like, lots and lots of people reading. They're just not as, you know, they don't contact us. They don't interact in the lesbic world circles, right? Mm -hmm. They just kind of get the books and read them and enjoy them and we don't know who they are because there's a core of readers at in, in Lesvik who interact all the time with each other and with writers. So you you come away with a sense that there's not that many people in the Lesvik world and it does tend to be smaller than like other genres but the internet has allowed us to go to go big, right? And to to get lots of readers from around the world. So well, so it's not. It's not even just that. It's um, with the whole conversation that's taking place with Gen X or Gen Z, like we were talking about. You know, when you read YA, you are reading queer fic, whether it's labeled mm -hmm. that way or not. <coughs> it's very, very rare that a that a YA book that was written in the last five years doesn't include some queer content, right? So as that changes. Our, our reader demographic also changes because, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. the, the younger generation is not afraid of different combinations of, you know, couples, people, and representation. So mm -hmm. that makes a difference, too, I think. I think that's so true. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just, just, like, thinking about that, like, huh. And why a... That's a really good point about YA and how it has been kind of like this bastion of representation. You know, it sort of snuck up on us because 
but even back in the day when we were reading, you know, when we were YA and reading YA, YA took on a lot of really difficult issues. And I don't think people really appreciate how groundbreaking YA fiction can be. Mm-hmm. Or, and you'll find the same thing like in Specfic. Specfic does a lot of things that you don't find in other genres, like in terms of queer rep, in terms of exploring like really difficult issues. Mm-hmm. So that's a really interesting point. I have to ponder that. I'm pondering, Jove. Hmm. I, I can appreciate <clears throat> your pondering. Mm. So, anyway, I'll ponder later. Carson says, ask Georgia how Georgia came to write romance. And Georgia says she was reading a lesbian romance way, way back, doesn't remember what it was or who the author was, but she remembers it was not good. She slogged through the whole thing. There wasn't a lot to choose from 20 years ago, so I couldn't be picky. And when I finished, I looked at my partner and said, I could have written that better. She studied me for a moment, then asked, so what's the difference between you and that author? I looked at her and responded, uh, she wrote a book. Ding, ding, ding. The next week I sat down and began writing Turning the Page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Challenge accepted. And that's that's kind of what got me writing, too. Um, so Carson asked her how long did it take her to write that book, and Georgia says she had another job back then. So those were the days of stealing writing time wherever and whenever she could. Six to eight months. The biggest change for her has been speed, how fast she can write. I'm currently on a three books a year schedule, friends. Three books a year. Mm-hmm. So that's like one every four months. Yeah. No. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. And that includes time for editing and all of, yes. all of those, all of those mm-hmm. things. All I, those uh, things. Yeah. I, mad respect, folks. Mad respect. It's doable. Yeah. I mean, it is doable. If if you are fortunate enough to be a full-time writer, uh, you have to then develop a sense that this is your fucking livelihood. So it's a slightly different way of looking at it. And, and you just kind of, that's what you do. And you create the schedule. You create the time. Stephen King, speaking of, um, I read his How to Write book. He has like this little, these books that he does sometimes on, like the writing process and the writing journey. And like, that's what he does. He treats it as a job. Like he gets up and starts doing writing, the actual writing. Like he does that for eight hours a day. And then there's also the other stuff that goes into that, the business of writing, the editing, the looking at edits, the working with your publisher, the appearances that you make, the book signings. So the events that you have to attend, it is a business. And if you're going to do it full time and support yourself on it you have to treat it as a business as well as a creative journey so yeah oh my god i got deep for a minute sorry yeah see i (laughs) I suck at that i'm like i get so distracted dear listener if you can figure (laughs) out a way to help me not chase the ball string across the floor let me know yeah carson says calls Georgia a writing beast and says I want to be you when I grow up speaking of adulting (laughs) she says I've been writing half as long as you Missy and there are days that I still feel like I'm getting the hang of it back when I was practicing law full time dear listener Carson is a lawyer Mm -hmm. okay 
Uh, she would steal minutes whenever she could find them and then still stay portable and open to writing in smaller bits of time. But the best thing I've done during my career, she says, is to learn what successful writers do and do whatever that is. It's one of the main reasons, besides our friendship, that I enjoy our daily check-ins about word count. So if you're serious about writing, friends, check in, get a writing buddy and check in with them. Like, how's that work in progress going? Um, what's your word count? Like, read each other's stuff, you know, a page or two, just for feedback. Uh, that's That's been one of the best things, I think, for me about writing is the connections that I make through sharing my work and looking at other people's work. Agreed. <clears throat> so, and you know this, you've got tons of betas. And, and we've made lots of connections and the people we work with, we see each other's stuff and read each other's work and, and give suggestions and feedback. It's like, I think I find it a really productive kind of thing. Me too. And speaking of distraction, Georgia says distraction is a problem, Jove. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I believe that. So she, she loves check-ins. Check in the morning. Here's my goal. Go us. Report in when writing is done. <laughs> That's a really good plan. I, I like that. If anybody would I like will- to be my uh, writing person. I don't know I'll be write- your writing person. Will you? Sure. Okay. Send me shit. No, no, check that's, in. that's, yeah, so mutual goal, check in in the morning, and then, you know, check in, check out when you're done. Yeah. That's cool. We should I, try that. Yeah. Let's see what happens. I want that. That's what I want. That's what I want. Anyway, friends, this is a great <laughs> convo. This is a great convo, and they're doing a drawing tomorrow, actually, Sunday, um, you can win an ebook copy of both Fear of Falling and Practice Makes Perfect. Those are both the latest titles from Carson Tate and Georgia Beers. So definitely get on get on that. What are you doing? Why are you still listening to us? Go sign up. Yeah, <laughs> do that. I love that. I do too. Go. Yeah. Go. Boom. Anyway. Oh, I have to remind Georgia and Carson not to put me in the drawing. Mm. I think that they probably figured that out. They're pretty smart. They are pretty smart, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, great convo. I think we should do more of those. We should encourage writers to do more of those on the blog. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Like, maybe we should, like, pick two writers to put together and have convos. Um, uh, I, don't, nah. I, don't, I don't think I we'll have the energy have- to coordinate that. <laughs> But I encourage writers out there, if you're listening, and you know another writer that you love talking to, it's shit to have a little combo with them, and we'll post it on the blog, because as a writer, I find it really useful for other writers to talk about their processes, and I think readers really enjoy hearing about that, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's my thought on that. <clears throat> Speaking of, um, and not to be like a total whore about my own work, but... Uh, the other podcast I do, Les, Les Geek Out with Lise McTague, we did something a little different on the most recent episode, which we just posted. And we actually had almost an hour-long conversation about each other's writing processes and how it informs us as fans of other people's work and how writing itself has created sort of this milieu through which we look at other people's work and at stories and at structure. We had a great time with this convo. And so if you guys are interested, you can find it on our website, lesgeekoutcast.com. Just so you know. That's very nice. 
it was fun. It was a really fun convo. And what we found out was that we actually have very similar approaches to specifically SpecFic and how we actually go about creating the story and the structure. It was kind of neat to find that out because Lisa and I have never really talked about each other's writing like that. Mm-hmm. So it was a it was a cool convo. We got to know a little bit more about how we approach like a work in progress and other stories and you know what makes a story to us. It was neat. I highly suggest it that you do that. You talk to other writers if you're a writer and just hang out with them. I, I yes. yes. Do that. Do that. All right. Um Oh gosh, August 8th, Fiona Zetti. Love you, Fiona. And Fiona did sort of a tribute piece to Toni Morrison, who we lost this past week at the age of 88. She was, I, there are literally no words that I have to describe the towering impact that Toni Morrison had on literature and culture, frankly, in this country. Um, she is, I think, the only, I could be wrong about this, um, she received the Nobel Prize for Literature. She's one of the few women to have received it, and she's the only African American writer to receive it thus far. Wow, that's which is like disgusting. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, go Toni Morrison, but that needs to be fixed. Old that, white dudes are not the only ones who have something to say. Thank you. Ah. Wow. So, anyway. Um, when she started, I w- I'm looking at The Guardian. He did a, a great little obit on her. When she started producing fiction, she was editing other writers for the publisher's Random House in New York. And she obviously looked around and saw the lack of novels, which spoke to readers like herself. So beginning with The Bluest Eye, and that was published in 1969. That's how long Toni Morrison had been writing. Her novels portray the psychic and social lives of African-American women as well as men, and cover the trauma of slavery and its economic and psychological consequences during and after the 19th century. Wow. Sula, which was her second novel published in 1973, provides a terse and vivid contrast between two black women, one a rebel and the other a conformist, whose stories and, and struggle come to terms with one another and their communities set the pattern for some of her later fiction like Song of Solomon in 1977 which is wider ranging historically and geographically I mean her work is it's like and the way she constructed sentences I mean if you have not read Toni Morrison oh my god go go to the library right now and read her work because she was a consummate writer in terms of craft, but also in terms of how she constructed characters and who those characters were. It's so important, especially for white people, to read Toni Morrison's work. It's equally important for people of color to read her work because this is ultimate representation. But white people, you really fucking need to read authors like Toni Morrison. Okay, Mm -hmm. so do it. And I think that's part of what... um, Fiona is saying, and she starts her blog with Middle School, The Bluest Eye. The first Toni Morrison book I ever noticed was The Bluest Eye. I was in middle school in the early 90s and haunting the aisles of my favorite library in Tampa. The book was there face front on the featured title shelf. The world Toni revealed to me between those pages and the sheer power of her words frightened me 
and made me take notice. I'd never read anything like it before. The Bluest Eye was the first Toni Morrison book to unsettle me, but it wouldn't be the last. In high school, it was beloved. It seemed like an ordinary enough day. Our teacher made ridiculous jokes, his fuzzy salt and pepper beard wagging with every word. Exams were looming. At that moment, I had no idea that Toni Morrison had won the Nobel Prize a day or so before. After finishing up his literary comedy routine, our English teacher announced we'd had a small change in our scheduled semester. Instead of Hemingway or Kerouac or any of the other white male writers we'd been given a steady diet of, we'd be reading Toni Morrison's Beloved. With her Nobel win, he said she might be on the AP exam. It simmered in me, this rejection of her or any person of color on the class syllabus until she'd been validated by this committee of white men. It's something I never forgot. Mm-hmm. And then there's college playing in the dark. It was an accident, me stumbling into this book of literary criticism. Maybe I saw it on someone's shelf. Maybe a new friend lent it to me after we spent a drunken evening trying to impress each other with things we thought we knew. All I knew for sure is that this is the first book of essays literary critique that I ever picked up on my own and pushed myself through despite the weighty language. Absolutely worth it. Tony's razor-sharp insight and seemingly effortless brilliance held me spellbound. With every word I read, she made me want to be a better writer and reader. Nice. Sula. The cover was so pretty, bright yellow with a painting of a woman. Her gaze is slant yet challenging, the cocked hat covering most of her thick hair, a reflection of her confidence. She reminded me of someone I just met in my new city of Atlanta. The back cover said it was a novel of female friendship, baiting the already alluring hook. I grabbed the book and devoured it in small but greedy bites, sinking into its crackling and complex center, savoring the way Tony broke and remade rules of novel writing. At its end, I cried like a baby. This novel is one of my favorites of all time. You know... What a beautiful tribute. Thank you, Fiona. It's absolutely gorgeous. And Tar Baby, um, she read that in graduate school. It goes without saying that Tony's prose in this novel is, is incredible. Here she unfurls the relationship between two main characters in a way that's rich, nuanced, and unexpectedly sensual. To this day, that particular scene with the seal skin coat makes me catch my breath just thinking about it. So, friends, read Toni Morrison. Read, if you are white, read writers of color. I, I, I don't understand why white people do this, that, why they don't read across cultures and ethnic groups and history. I, Toni Morrison is absolutely amazing. And the legacy she left has inspired generations of black writers and other writers of color like, I mean, Fiona Zetti's tribute here. Mm -hmm. that's, that's inspiration. This is how important. We're back to that representation matters. Toni Morrison literally created a literary canon. And I, I, just, there, I just don't have the words. I am not clearly the person to be discussing this. But I'm so glad Fiona took the time and shared that with us. Because holy shit. I, like, have chills. And now I'm going to go reread. Yeah. Yes. Damn. Thank you. Thank you, Fiona. Yes. And you can find Tony's work at your local libraries. Let's just do it. Go to your libraries um, and share her books. Share her works with young people, uh, people who are, you know, starting out. Because these are books that 
tell you things in layers and layers, and you'll see new things every time you read them. It's kind of like that adulting thing, Joe. You know, like books you read back in the day, and then you reread later in life. Mm-hmm. You see different things. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad this work is out there. So, so glad. I mean, as, as a young white woman, I didn't see a lot of, a lot of what I considered valid, really valid rep for, for Mm -hmm. women. But, you know, the idea of being represented as a, as a white person, just that wasn't even in question. And so I'm so glad that this, this work is out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. That was amazing. Oh, damn. Speaking of adulting. Um, all right. August 9th, Sam Liddell joined us, and she has some great photos here. She's been out traveling. So she and her girlfriend went to, and Joe, maybe you've been here to Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks there on the West Coast? No, I don't know. Where are they? So beautiful. Um, you know, well, you've seen, you've been to look at like giant ass trees, right? I mean, yeah, I'm just, I haven't spent a lot of time in California. So are these in California? <laughs> Hold on a second. Um, yeah, it's to Tulare County, California. Yeah. It's adjacent to Kings Canyon National Park. Um, I've probably been to Sequoia. I don't know about Kings Canyon. So yeah. But yeah. So, yeah. so y'all, if you get a chance, do it. And there's a cute photo of Sam here. Or maybe that's Sam's girlfriend. I can't tell. Hugging a giant ass tree. Oh, they're both cute. They're so cute. Oh, my God. Um, And then she talks about, you know, reminiscing. And I know she told this story on Women in Words a while back. But she, Sam was in the Peace Corps in Peru. And that's where she and her girlfriend met. Yeah. They were both in the Peace Corps, which is, I want to hear that damn thing. That's like, I want to hear that story. Yeah. So Sam, if you're listening and you want to, if you could share that story, that would be really fun. So these two have gone on a lot of adventures and she's got a photo here of the uh, Cataratas del Iguazu, which in English is Iguazu Falls. And holy shit, look at that. That is fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. And she says toward the end of their respective Peace Corps services, they wanted to take advantage of being in South America. So they went to Argentina and that's where Iguazu Falls are, and it forms part of the border between Argentina and Brazil, deep within the dense jungle, the Amazonian jungle, and they make up the largest waterfall system in the world. Holy shit. <laughs> and she's got that photo, so much water. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I want to I wanna go, I want to go to South America. I, I want to go. Sam, do you want to go back? We could be yeah, travel Sam, buddies. Would you take us? Yeah. Would you please? Oh, my God. Anyway. Wow. And she's got a picture of, um, I think you pronounce it, Coates. And they're sort of like, um, they inhabit that park. And from a distance, they're adorable. They're a cross between an anteater, a raccoon, and maybe a lemur. And 12 emerged from the nearby brush and came upon their unsuspecting picnic table and they're not so cute then they're in fact terrifying my girlfriend being the smart one grabs her food and bolts i apparently think i can handle this and i watch as one of them snatches up my bag of barbecue chips like it's just another tuesday the others are (laughs) sniffing vigorously searching for more as the quaddy with the chips legit stares at me i accept the challenge 
and 100% believe that I can knock the bag of chips out of its little paws if I swing my sandwich bag just right. Intending no harm to the creature, I promise. I just really wanted my chips. What happened next? Well, I'm feeling mighty clever as I delicately swing the brown bag, holding my fresh panini toward the kawadi, and it drops the barbecue chips. Yes, then catches the bag between its now incredibly sharp-looking claws, never breaking eye contact. (laughs) It was then I realized the error of my ways and quickly released my panini. (laughs) (laughs) You got owned. They're like the they're like the tiny tiny furry mobsters of the forest. That's awesome. (laughs) Now I want a panini. I know, right? (laughs) That's so great. Yeah, that is like that's amazing. Oh my god, that is the best. As the best. That picture is awesome. Did you take that picture, Sam? That's what I want to know. Or is that I want to know? Like a still like a online stock photo kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great story. Holy shit. All right. And guess what, Joe? Yeah. That's it. That's it? That's it. The week is over. Hey. The week's over. Oh my god. Dear listener. Oh my god, that was so exciting. I had to yawn. I love ending with bodies. <laughs> uh yeah, no, there is absolutely no way to 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 top this. This this might very well have been the inspiration for the king of the lemurs on um <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Madagascar. Like, yes. Yes, 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 oh right? Like just this I, was, I like to move it, move it. Yes. I like to move it, move it. I just, I love the whole, I, I've got your chips. Oh, and I've got your panini. And I got your panini, bitch. Yeah, it sounds like trying to deal with like a, a, a really tenacious two-year-old. Like you just, you cannot win. If you're not willing to hurt the thing, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. You're not going to win. <laughs> anyway, dear listener, this has been the Week in Review for Women in Words. I am Joe Fell here today with Andy Marquette. You can find us online at womenwords.org. Please like, subscribe, uh, leave a comment, leave a review. All of those possible things that you can do to let other people of the internet know that we exist. Because here's the important part. We like to exist and we really like to find other people who also exist. Uh, Until next week, thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah, goodbye. Mm. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.